is a blessing to be here with you. I, I have grown to love this church, and I'm the most uncool guy you'll ever meet. I, I, I'm, I'm still stunned he reads those announcements from a phone. Isn't that just hysterical? I mean, that's just so different from how, you know, I was raised, and I'd get the bulletin up, and you'd, you know, flip through the bulletin, so uh, I think that's pretty cool. I, I love this staff. I love John Hugh. I've known John Hugh, and I've known Linda uh, for some time, and so it's just a blessing to be here, be praying for them. Um, So I I appreciate the opportunity to come. I'll be here next week as well, so we're going to kind of do a two-part series. Now, um, Chris was telling me, y'all get out by 11.15. I think he's trying to pull something over on me here. I said, how long do I go? He said, oh, you can go as long as you want, but I'm leaving in 30 minutes. So I know I'm kind of tight on time here, uh, trying to align with everyone. It is a blessing to have two of my daughters and one of my son-in-laws with me. My wife and three of my children are in El Salvador. They're on their mission trip. I was excited to hear about y'all's. I love y'all's mission work. What an exciting thing. I just... uh, uh, I've had the privilege a couple of years ago, John Hughes sent out a letter, was trying to raise some money for one of y'all's mission trips. And so I sent in some money and about, uh, three weeks later we were eating and fondering my family and I, and there were, there were some girls outside talking and they were talking about a mission trip they were about to go on and so excited that uh, all the money had come in for their trip. And so I just asked us, so where do y'all go to church? We go to Bellwether. So it was kind of cool to go, hey, we were a part of that. And so uh, all these uh, crisscrossing of relationships and things that are just it's really a lot of fun. I'm very proud of you and I'm excited, excited for uh, how God is going to use you in that. Now, we'll go ahead and warn you that the PowerPoint guys are going to do the best they can to follow me, and I've kind of messed up what I sent to them. So if they're scrolling around behind me, you just forgive them. Anything that is wrong is my fault because I keep shifting on them. Uh, I work on my message until I stand up. I'm always tweaking it and working on it. uh, I figured out one day that I'd done uh, over 11,000 presentations in my career, and I still don't know how to finish it early. I'm still working on it when I get up, so I'm still up there telling them, well, change this, so forgive them, uh, forgive me in that process. Uh, I love how you guys, John Hugh and the church, how y'all are approaching questions honestly. Uh, you've been discussing these red letter questions. What a great idea. We asked you to submit these questions and, and I was looking over the list that he sent me and if I obey, am I going to be more blessed? A couple of weeks ago, last week, how do I grow in my prayer? This week and next week, we're going to look at what does a healthy church look like? What does that look like? Now, I'll be honest with you. I was fortunate and blessed enough to be raised by a very godly set of parents. I was raised in a godly home. I went to a dynamic church. I had great experiences. I'm one of those guys that, man, when I talk about my youth group, it was vibrant and growing. In fact, we moved to the church uh, where I graduated. When I graduated, uh, I was three when we joined that church. And at 18, we'd grown from 300 to about 2,500 there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so I had all of my experiences with church were positive. And, and exciting. And so uh, as I became an adult, I, I, I've, I've had great experiences. I, I've, I've pastored for 27 years, and I've been in some exciting services, man, where it felt like the worship was heaven. And I've been in relationships that have expanded my walk with Christ. I've seen ministry flow out of churches in such a dynamic way that, that uh, all I can say is, man, it's an exci- it can be an exciting place to be. And so when we talk about the church, I can get pretty fired up and pretty excited. But let's be honest. It can also be a painful place. Every deep scar that I have, I have received from a Christian, Christian organization, or a church. The other side of it is, because I've been in church all my life, every scar that I have, every therapist I have to pay, usually is traced back to a Christian or a church somewhere. 
I, I work in both the Christian world and in the, in, and in the uh, uh, corporate world. I do corporate training and executive coaching, and about half my clients are churches and half are businesses. I've never had a business mess me over, but I've had churches do it. I've had Christians, I've had people who call me brother, and, and yet I've had people who would curse a, a blue streak who have always been. So I understand this, this kind of schizophrenia about how do we approach the church. Uh, uh, so so as, we, as we look into this, I know that we, we struggle with our personal experiences. I also uh, know that we've developed our list of complaints against the church. It's cliquish, it's irrelevant, it's hypocritical, it's shallow, it's selfish, it's greedy, it's arrogant. And too many times, the church could be depicted within Led Zeppelin's lyrics in Stairway to Heaven when it says, and as we wind on down the road, our shadows taller than our souls. And too many times the church in America can be that. Our shadows can be greater than actually the soul within us. And I, I have to admit that I've been the purveyor sometimes of this behavior myself. There are too many instances where as a pastor or just as a member, I didn't represent Christ like I should. So I understand that, and I understand that dynamic. Well, these next two weeks, we're going to be looking at a healthy church. This week, we want to talk about what does a healthy church look like. Next week, we're going to talk about how to build that healthy church, okay? So let's get a picture of it this week. And then next week, we're going to look at all of you. If you'll open your Bibles or, or iPads or phone or whatever you're using, go to Ephesians 4. I still use paper. The first time I was in a church, the pastor said, if you'll open your phone to, and I, I, that was kind of startled me. So in Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to look at verse 11, and we're going to read 11 through 16, and that's going to be our foundational text this week and next. Look at what it says in verse 11, starting in verse 11. It was he, he being Christ, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors and uh, evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceit scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from him. Now verse 16, it's my favorite, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Uh, when I work with churches, I say, you can spend a whole lot of time on mission statements, but Ephesians 4, 16 ought to be the mission statement on top of every church. Here's what it says. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's the picture of the church. So let's talk about that a minute. I travel quite a bit. Delta loves me, and I don't always love them, but I'm on, I'm on a plane. I'm getting on a plane or, or walking on a plane or getting off a plane or, or scheduling one every day of my life. And I'm walking through airports often, and I'll walk by these magazine stands, and I'll see all these fitness magazines. Now, 20 years ago, they didn't bother me. They just bugged the heck out of me now. I just hate them. I look at them, and I just remind myself they're all Photoshopped. There's nobody that looks like this, right? Because I'm saying, I'm looking at it, going, I remember when I was 30, I was running 50 miles a week, and I was working out, and I was in shape. Now I'm nearly 50, need a hip replacement. Well, you know, my kids are helping me to the car. You know, this is pitiful. And uh, so I see those things, and I see that picture, and I say, well, no, wait a second. There's nothing wrong with that, but really, is that the picture of what we want? And oftentimes in the church, we don't really have a picture of what the church really should look like, and I want to talk about that today, and I want to start with one simple concept, and that's this. There's a difference between a perfect church and a healthy church. 
They are distinctly different. And let me tell you, I have no interest in being a part of a perfect church. I want to be a part of a healthy church. Heard about the guy that couldn't decide whether he wanted to be a, a, a veterinarian or a taxidermist. So he went to school for both, got his degrees in both, decided to be entrepreneurial. And so he opened up his shop and outside he had a sign that said, either way, you get your cat back. So what sometimes... I mean, if there's a way to have a perfect and healthy church, I would do that, but you can't do that. You're going to have to choose one or the other because perfection immediately takes away from what the church is really about, and that's working with imperfect people, imperfect situations. Uh, uh, Russ, I appreciated your, your introduction and, and how you hate to admit it that your, your uh, kids aren't perfect. How, how old your oldest? Well, all right, when they hit 13, you won't have any problem acknowledging they are not perfect on any level whatsoever. All right, so uh, I've got uh, six children. My youngest is 13, so we're on the back end of this thing, 24, 23, 20, almost 21, and uh, uh, 18, 15, and 13, and then a four- and a three-year-old grandchildren. So uh, by the time the grandkids come along, you just accept the sin nature and glad they go home with parents, right? You go deal with that. God will give you grace. And, uh, and so, and by the way, how old is the, uh, the one that just sang? Caroline? And she's now nine? Was she mortified that you put that up there? Yeah, yeah, somewhat, a little bit. All right, that's great. I love, I love having our kids around. All right, so here's the question. What does a healthy church look like? And if we go back to the picture, let's look at verse 16. So here's what we're going to do. This week, we're going to look at verse 16. Next week, we're going to look at verses 11 through 15. So verse 16 tells us what it looks like. Verses 11 through 15 tells us how we get there. So let's look at this. There are six things that Paul gives us here. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Six qualities to a healthy church. Number one, from him. I love that first phrase, from him. The first characteristic of a healthy church is that Christ is the center of all she is and does. Christ is the center of all she is and does. We all, uh, we, we, we all do things for, for our own purposes. We all like, we, we have reasons behind what we do. But let me tell you something. In a healthy church, we want the church to be driven by Christ's purposes, by his glory, by, by his word that is forming us. Too often the church is so many other things than the culture that God wants it to be. It's not a gathering place for our affinities. It's not the bastion of political and cultural ideology. It's not a fortress for our personal preference and ideology. It's, it's not a playground for the megalomaniacal. Sometimes I'll, I'll see churches always trying the newest and the freshest, and, and we drag people through all kinds of new ideas. And it's not a petri dish for the untested ideas of cultural fancy. So whatever's the new thing coming down, we ought to try. No, the church The center of the church, the core of the church, is who is Christ and what does he want to do? And first of all, what does he want to do in my life? Is it transforming me? The question every week when I leave the church should not be, was that what I wanted? The question was, what has Christ done in me as a result of the last hour I've spent here? Because if he's the center of what we're doing, that's going to be the transformative nature of our life. I remember Walt, my, my dad is one of the most amazing men. I love him. He's 80, 82. He's caring for my mother who's in declining health, and he's just been a hero all my life. Uh, and he's one of those guys that just can't be critical. You know, you know what I'm saying? He's always got something positive to say, and, and uh, it kind of frustrated the, the fool out of me growing up. I'd try to criticize something, he'd say something good. And I'd try to say something bad, he'd say something good. I remember one time I told him, I said, Dad, 
I think you would find something good to say about the devil. He says, well, he does work hard. So that's the kind of dad I had to live with. And I remember one time coming out of a church service that, I mean, was, I mean it was as exciting as a dial tone. I mean, the sermon made about as much sense as a rock, and I'm thinking, man, I couldn't wait for that thing to be over. And I walked out, and I looked down, and my dad had two pages of notes. Now, I'm thinking, honestly, he's probably right now, he was a preacher himself. He was an evangelist. I, I figured he was just taking his own notes, you know, kind of like I did. I, I did my homework during church sometimes. And I said, I said, man, wasn't that boring? He said, you thought so? I said, yeah, man, that was, I didn't know what he was talking about. And he goes, well, I've, I, 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 he probably wishes he could do that over. He said, but I sure got a lot out of it. I said, are you kidding me? He said, no, look at all these notes. And I said, how in the world did you get anything out of that sermon? He said, son, I learned a long time ago. It's not the preacher's job for me to learn. Wow. It's not the preacher's job for me to learn. It's my job. It's my responsibility. And you see, when, when Christ is the center, then when I walk into church, I'm not walking in church to see what everyone can do for me. I'm walking into church to see what I can do to encounter Christ. And I'm looking for him. I'm looking for him in the worship. I'm looking for him in the messages. I'm looking for him in the communion. I'm looking for him. So, Lord, speak to me. Touch me. What do you want and what do you want from me and out of me? Number two. From him, the whole body. I like the second thing. The second thing about a healthy church is that it's a place for everyone. It is by nature inclusive. Now, this is dangerous because there's all kinds of qualifiers I could put on this, but there are two things I want to address. One is internal inclusion, and the second is external. So internally, here's the, a healthy church is not going to be uh, uh, homogenous. It's not, everyone's not going to look the same. They're not going to be, here's the challenge in the church. How in the world do we allow the grace for the different? For people who are different than us, that think differently than us, that look differently, that, that operate maybe from a different perspective. We need all the gifts. We need all the representation. I, in my last church in Miami, um, we, had, uh, we grew from about 1,800 to about 5,000. And my board of directors, uh, I, was the, I was the minority as a Caucasian male. And I had, I had uh, 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 lots of Latinos uh, or Latins. I had several Africans. I had some Caribbean leaders on my team. And uh, it was very interesting because we had very diverse ideas around the table. And we'd get really healthy discussions. But what was so fun about it was because the first phrase was in place from him, we loved Jesus, we wanted his purposes revealed in the earth, it allowed us to include everyone. See, when Jesus is in the center of it, then something else has to be the center of it, which is typically somebody's ideology. And so I'm sitting next to someone who, who uh, uh, is a John MacArthurite, who, who's very conservative and, and cessationist, sitting right next to someone who's not going to miss a Copeland conference. And they have the ability to walk together, to love together, to have discussions. And we had healthy discussions. And the challenge in a lot of churches that I work in, and I work in a lot of them around the country, is that the more homogeneous, uh, the more, more homogeneity that it has, the less impact it has in its culture. But when we can begin to spread across, which is the external, if we can begin to represent the culture in which we live in, we're going to find that it's going to be a much healthier church. And so within the church, how do we include people looking around and people might be different? You know what? We need different ages. We need different perspectives. Uh, that's why I don't like when I say, well, we've got to reach the young people. Yes, we need to reach the young people and us old folks. But we, we need the whole body of Christ. 
I want my children around septuagenarians. I, want my, I don't want my 30-year-old parents learning how to parent from 30-year-old parents. And oftentimes I'll have people say, well, you know, we want to get around friends that have the same problems we have. I get that. I totally get that. And I've been in, that, I've been in several of those phases in my life where from a social level it makes a lot more sense. But you know, when I'm struggling with a 13-year-old and I'm trying to get counsel from a parent who's struggling with a 13-year-old, I can get more empathy than I can get wisdom. If I need wisdom, I want a 60-year-old who's come out on the other end with some kind of a track record that I'm saying, hey, help me with this. Talk to me about this. And I think sometimes the church has not been healthy because we've not been intentionally whole. We've been intentionally isolated. And so I would challenge us for, a, for there to be a really healthy church. How do, we be, how do we get inclusive? Which goes the other way. Some of us older folks, we need to be spending time with some younger folks. They would energize us. They would fire us up. They would give us a, a passion again. That old adage that you see in bumper stickers where it says, uh, um, uh, children are God's opinion, the world should go on. And so being able to cross those barriers, the whole church, from him, the whole church. And let me add one more thing that I think we need, and that's this. A healthy church is a whole church that understands that it also has to have needs within the church. Needy people. Here's one of the challenges we have in America, and especially those of us who are, are suburban and, and upwardly mobile or, or have, a, have a modicum of success in our lives, is that we keep trying to create worlds that don't demand of us any more than they should. Oh, Dan, I'm under so much pressure. I've got so much going on. I've got so much. I get it. I totally understand it. Man, I don't come to church. I don't want to want. Well, let me tell you something. Remember in Deuteronomy where it says this, the poor you will always have among you. Why did he want the poor always among us? So that we would never forget that we were in partnership with God to demonstrate his grace in the earth. And there was going to be needs around us all the time. As I was leaving this morning, already running late, because I have to leave town this afternoon, and, and uh, so I was trying to get everything done before I got to church, and, and one of my neighbors was out in her yard, and she's been having kind of a rough time. I just stopped and talked to her, and in my, ma- in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I've got to get to church, I've got to get to church, and but in my heart, I'm going, I've got to stop, and I've got to stop, I've got to stop. And the same happens in church. Listen, we, we need to not be so busy and moving so fast that we run past the needs there, there are going to be people around us that are hurting. There are going to be people who are going through divorces. There are going to be people that are having deteriorating marriages that no one's going to know. But one of the things that makes a healthy church is that we don't, we don't run from need. We actually say this is a great place for God's grace to meet you. Let's look at number three. From him, the whole body joined and held together. I love this one. The third thing that we see about a healthy church is that people are connected. Persons are connected. There's a need to be related. There's a need to be interconnected. Now, many, some of you, and I wouldn't say many of you, but some of you have had to experience the pain of, of autism uh, in your family. Maybe your child or grandchild. I've got several friends that have, have had to face that. And, and what is autism? It's a neural development problem. They're not quite sure what it is, but here's the end result. There's an inability for a child to connect emotionally with others. Now, here's what kind of struck me. I think oftentimes the church kind of has this spiritual autism where we'll come to church, we come late, we leave early, get out the door, don't want to talk to anyone, don't want to connect, and then we're not quite sure why church doesn't have any meaning for us. 
And here's what I would tell you. Church only is going to be meaningful when you are connected in some way. Now let's talk about that for just a second because here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should always be at church. In fact, I don't believe that. One of the things I coach churches about is quit telling people they've got to be at church all the time. Here's what I want. I want a church that knows how to inspire, equip, equip, encourage me to go be ministry somewhere else. I don't want to be at the church all the time. Even when I was a pastor, I learned I don't want people at church all the time. I don't want them doing 90 hours a week of church activity. What I want them to do is to live the grace of God in their schools, in their works, in their neighborhoods, wherever they are, in their their country clubs or, or in the inner city or wherever they are. I want grace to flow. However, when I come to church, A part of God's work in my life and healing in my life and equipping in my life and encouragement in my life is the relationships in that church. From him, the whole body joined and held together. Now that word joined is an interesting word. You'll you'll recognize it from another text in scripture where Jesus says uh, uh, wherever two or three are joined together, same Greek word, what? Whatever they ask, they're going to have. Now, the word join there is this. It's not the idea that we have in America as Americans that I'm going to go join the country club. I'm going to go join the fitness facility. I'm going to go join. This word actually, it means that two things are acted upon. So it's like Legos. So I'm going to take this Lego and I'm going to join it to this Lego. Okay, so it's being acted upon. So here's that verse. When Jesus says, where two or three are joined together in my name, anything they ask they'll have, it actually means wherever I have joined them together, where I have brought two together. So I can't be standing out in the middle of the Lexus dealership, find another Christian and go, hey, come hold my hands and let's agree together for this Lexus. That's not what that verse means. What that means is when God is working in someone's heart over here, and then he's working in someone's heart over here, and they come together and they go, whoa, we're concerned about the same thing. He goes, there, in that moment where I have joined them together, you can ask anything in my name and you're going to get it. Because it's flowing out of his joining. That's the same word here. So the word here isn't, I'm going to shop around until I find my favorite church. The question is, where has God joined you? That's the reason some of us will never get settled in a church because we keep, it's like the buffet thing, we keep looking for the church we want rather than the church God has joined us to. And once he's joined us to us, when we said, listen, this is where I believe God has me, then here's what needs to happen. We need to join it systematically, which means, uh, for instance, here, we have B groups. I would encourage you that if you've not checked out the B groups or if you're not in some discipleship group or if you're not in some accountability group, let me tell you, you're going to get more out of this church when you're in that kind of relationship. You also need to be connected to the church relationally, which means allowing yourself to build relationships. Now, y'all do a pretty good job with that because y'all, y'all have church in the foyer before you ever get in here. I have noticed that. And uh, if I, I, I suspect one of the reasons we don't have a, uh, a full room when the worship starts is because we're having church out there. And I'm not, not against that. I think that's great. I love that. And I've, I've, I've encouraged John, Hugh, and the staff keep encouraging that. And I love seeing y'all out there fellowshipping together and inclusive. That's, that is a godly thing. That's not a carnal thing. That's a godly thing. Some of us need to be more engaged with that kind of thing. How can I interact more? How can I find people and talk to them? We also need to be connected spiritually, which means that before I come, here's what I would challenge you to do as an individual or as the head of your home. Before you get out of the car, just agree together. So let's just pray together. God, help me to hear you today. I want to be connected spiritually to what's happening today that you could transform my life. That's going to be a healthy church. Could you imagine if everyone who walked in the door simply said, God, 
let me be, I'm available to whatever you want to do in my heart today in the service. Do you think that'd make a difference in what would happen? I guarantee you it would. And it's just a simple thing. I'm not, I'm not saying go fast. I'm not saying crawl across the parking lot on your hands and knees and beg God. I'm just simply saying, just make that mental adjustment that says, I'm going to connect today and I'm going to be a part of what God's doing. All right. So persons are connected. Uh, number four, there's quantitative growth grows. Here's what it says. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. I don't really talk about the ligaments and stuff because I think it's values and vision. I don't have time to get in that. Grows, and that word grows here in the Greek means quantitative growth. Okay? Quantitative. There's, there's numeric growth. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that because y'all have already seen that. Y'all started with a group of people. It's grown. You've continued to grow numerically. You've continued to grow in your giving. You've continued to grow in your missions. And there's some wonderful things happening here that I could say there's a sign that Bellwether is a healthy church in that it's growing because healthy things grow, right? Did you know that there's not one parable? Jesus doesn't tell one parable that the kingdom is getting smaller. Every parable, it's the smallest seed becomes the largest tree. It's the, it's the, uh, uh, the seed grows into the, the, the stalk and then the full ear of corn. And so every principle of the kingdom is that it's growing and expanding and gotten out. Listen to me. We'll get to qualitative in a second. One of the signs of a healthy church is that you see expansion. Now, that doesn't mean every week you're seeing expansion. That doesn't mean that, you're always, that every time there's a number, it's going to be more than the last time. One of my mentors taught me. He said, don't ever look week to week on your growth. He said, look quarter to quarter. So that's what I've learned to do. I'll look at last year's quarter versus this year's quarter. He says, you'll drive yourself nuts week to week. But here's what's been happening. Bellwether, you've seen a healthy growth, which is very exciting. And God wants it that way. And I believe that, that uh, that's a godly thing. And it's a biblical thing right here. So uh, welcome that. But let's go to the fifth one, which I think is just as important, if not more so. It's not only quantitative growth, but he says grows and builds itself up in love. The second kind of growth, not only do we need quantitative growth, but we need what? Qualitative growth. It has to be the right kind of growth. Now, there's, different, there's wrong kinds of growth, isn't there? Uh, there's the kind of growth I've been experiencing for the last two or three years. I've gotten larger. It's not been a healthy growth. Uh, my, my doctor would not be pleased with my growth. And so that we call that obesity or fat. Uh, we're, I'm from Texas. We don't, we don't fix it up real pretty. Uh, we're, we're not uh, large in Texas. You're just fat. So that's what I am. And I'm, I'm quite overweight, and my doctor tells me that. And that's because I've not been eating right. Uh, I've been eating like I did when I ran 50 miles a week. I don't run 50 miles a week. I sleep 50, miles, 50 minutes later, but I don't run 50 miles a week. And so I, there's an unhealthy growth there. There's another kind of unhealthy growth. We call it malignancy or cancer. And that's when there's the wrong kinds of cells growing. Okay? So you've got something that's attacking the body. And you can see that in churches all over America. And I'll see churches that you've heard the phrase, they'll be a mile wide and an inch deep. And they've been growing the wrong way. And one thing happens and that church will go from 3,000 down to 1,200 just like that because it wasn't qualitative growth. It was only uh, a quantitative growth. But there's another kind of growth and that's when you grow so fast that you can't keep up with it systematically. Uh, I, I grew... 10 inches from the start of my 7th grade year to the start of my 8th grade year. 10 inches. Now think about that. I was 5 foot 2 at the beginning of my 7th grade year, and I was 6 foot at the beginning of my 8th grade year. 10 inches. My mother, my, my parents are extremely frugal. 
That's not even a good phrase. I mean, that's, that's as nice as I can put it. I asked my dad one time, hey, dad, can I have 50 bucks? He said, 30 bucks? What do you need 10 bucks for? I mean, they're just amazing at how quickly they can get you down to nothing. And so my mother decided that she was going to stop. And, and I get it. I understand. We didn't have a lot of money. She decided she was not going to buy me any more clothes till I quit growing. Thus, Highwater Hall. That's, that became my name. And I, my, my, it was embarrassing. First of all, I was the youngest of four, so I got all the hand-me-downs. And I was about three styles behind all the time. I came into IZOD in 1996, finally had an IZOD shirt. And I was never in style. And my mother bought these, you remember those tough skin blue jeans? And uh, they'd have those real thick patches on the knees. Well, I, they literally were on my thighs. And so I would come around, and these pants <laughs> would be up here. And it was just embarrassing. And I, but I developed a problem called Osgood Schleiders. Have you heard of that? And that's where my bones outgrew my ligaments uh, and, and my tendons, and it began to tear away from the bone because I was growing faster than the supporting ligaments could hold it together. And so one of the challenges for us as a church is that we, qualitative growth means that we can't just grow numerically in the building. We need to grow connected in a right way, relationally, in all the other ways that we were talking about. But notice this, qualitative growth also means that we can handle injury. Grows and builds itself up. The underlying principle is where there's a wound, there can be healing. For instance, here's the challenge to me of, of a really healthy church. A healthy church doesn't always have great services. So we're all going, well, good, because we're, we're experiencing that right now. I understand this is all a test of the emergency broadcasting system, all right? The, the sign of, no, a perfect church has to have great services week, week after week after week. A healthy church knows how to have mediocre services and still grow. A, a healthy church knows how to survive difficult situations. A healthy church knows how to handle maybe when the worship wasn't as great as well, or the sermon didn't seem as exciting as it should be, and the, the, the small group didn't, get, didn't touch me in a personal way. You see, the, the nature of a healthy church is that it heals itself. It doesn't go into an apoplectic seizure when things don't go right. Now, a perfect church has to be perfect every week, and it better be right what I want, and it better touch me right where I'm itching, and it better take care of my needs right where I am, and if they don't, well, I'm just going to go find another church. You're looking for a perfect church. Good luck. You can, you can join lots of perfect churches, and they'll last as long as you don't meet anybody. I can tell you this, church can look better from the back row. But if you really want to get in and be a part of what God's doing, you don't want to be perfect, you want to be healthy. And a healthy body knows how to manage those difficult situations, all right? So I want to challenge you that God wants there to be growth, but he wants it to be qualitative growth. And then lastly, everyone contributes. It's the last thing we see. As each part does its work. Now, we're going to spend more time on that next week, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But it's a really cool idea that a healthy church has everybody doing something that flows out of their life. I, in my life, I was an interim pastor of a church in Birmingham up until this last March, and uh, it was in a pretty bad situation. It, it had been a church that was running 1,700 at one point, and they were down about 700, and the pastor just left under dark circumstances, and they were a church with about a $3.5 million budget, and they had a $13 million debt. So it was pretty brutal, and they were in just really in tight situation. So I went over there and asked me if I wanted to come and, and lead him. I said, sure. I love those situations because I love hard situations that only God can pull out. 
I love that kind of dynamic. So I went over and, and began to serve with them and fell in love with this church and began to get to know some of the people. And one of my favorite people was a guy by the name of Ralph Harris. Now, I don't know how to describe Ralph. Ralph's about six foot four, thin. Uh, Ralph kind of speaks his mind. He doesn't have much of a filter. Uh, whatever he's thinking, he's saying. And he kind of says, he's, he's, I don't know how he's in Alabama. He sounds like a Texan, but he lives in Alabama. And, uh, and sometimes Ralph just rubs people the wrong way, especially church staff. Because when something irritates him, he'll just tell them. Well, when I got there, he had a little bit of a reputation within the staff of not being a real team player. Well, the more I got to know him, and the more I got to understand him, the more I loved him, I thought, man, I like this Ralph Harris guy. He helped our, he led our builders for Christ, and so he'd lead a team every year to go help some church that had been destroyed by a tornado or some kind of, of, of situation. Uh, he would... Uh, uh, he would stand out in the foyer, and he would uh, every, every uh, year he would help raise all the money for the children, for the Christmas tree, and for the, the, the needy families. He was a part of helping raise, he would uh, uh, raise peanut butter. They'd have a peanut butter and jelly drive every month to take to one of the, the homes nearby for, for some of the children that were, were struggling. But the coolest thing I liked about Ralph was that we had a man in our church who was in his 40s who was mentally uh, very challenged. And uh, he was, I mean, he would just wear people out. But every Sunday, Ralph would take Dan and he would take him to the coffee area. And while Sunday school was going on, Ralph would do a one-on-one Sunday school with Dan because Dan didn't function anywhere else. And Ralph would just personally pick him up, bring him to church, do this for years. And so Ralph wrote me a letter one day and he, he was complaining about something. We, didn't, we need to do something with the van and we need to do something with this and why couldn't we do this? And he wrote me about four or five things that he was frustrated with and I wrote him back. And then he signed it, Ralph the Troublemaker. And I wrote him back and I said, Ralph, I want to tell you something. You're not a troublemaker. I said, I know you speak your mind and I know sometimes that rubs people wrong, but here's what I appreciate. When I look at your life, I, there are troublemakers. There are people that all they do is complain. Okay, I understand that. But let me tell you something, Ralph. When I look at your life, you're what I call a producer. You are living out grace in such a demonstrative way. You can write me anytime you want to. Ralph and I became good friends, and I fell in love with this guy because, you know what, I saw a guy, he wasn't very gifted. He never could have stood, I mean, he could never have stood in front of a crowd. He never could have led a small group. There were so many things he couldn't do, but you know what he found out he could, what he could do? And he did it. And I believe that one of the reasons that church turned around and we saw God moving that church in a dramatic way, and, they, and I was there for 16 months, and they just called a senior pastor, and they're doing great, getting out of debt, and some great things are happening. I think it's because it's a church full of Ralph Harris's. They didn't need to be up front. They didn't need to be in the middle of everything, but they took what they had, and they made that contribution, and they did it not to man. They did it to the Lord, and that led them to a healthy church. So let me give you three life lessons that I think we can take out of our time together. Number one, a healthy church is both God's goal and Christ's glory. God's goal and Christ's glory. That's what God wants, and when that happens, it brings glory to Christ. Let me give you the second principle. A perfect church is anathema to a healthy church. Let me explain anathema. I wrote that, and then I thought, I need to change it, and I go, I'm not going to change it. I'm going to leave that. It's just a great word. You can't have one's the enemy of the other. If you're expecting a perfect church, you cannot build a healthy church. And if you're going to build a healthy church, you better know it's not going to be a perfect church. We're going to have challenges. We're going to make mistakes. People are going to get crossways with each other. You're going to have to sit through some services that are boring. You're going to have to go to some events that may not be as exciting. But you know what? 
when you look back over the corpus of your life, you're going to say, wait a minute, that was a significant time for me. Principle number three, our personal growth is enhanced by a healthy church. Let me tell you something. It is important for you to be a part of a healthy church. Well, I can be a Christian without the church. Yes, you can, but you're not going to be, you're not going to be as strong as if you were in a healthy church. And let me just tell you the second half of that. And it can be hindered by the absence of one. If you're trying to grow spiritually in the absence of a healthy church, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, I love the song by Zed who, featuring foxes, and it's called Clarity. And here's the line in this song. It's a, it's a top ten song right now. If our love is a tragedy, why are you my remedy? If our love is insanity, why are you my clarity? That's a great line. Because the church is kind of like that. If the church is where I'm getting most of my wounds, how is it the place I'm getting the most healing? There you go. There's the paradox. And can I tell you something? Life's going to hit you one place or another. It might as well hit you when you're involved in a healthy environment. And I would just invite you to that. Why do I love the church? Why do I still love the church if I've got all the scars? Because it's Christ's body. Because it's who Christ died for. Ephesians 4. What did he say? That he gave his life to redeem for himself a bride without spot or wrinkle. It is his focus, Matthew, 18, or Matthew 16, I will build my church. And ultimately, it's how God demonstrates his grace in the earth. So as we go into our invitation time, three things I would challenge you. Number one, if you've been hurt by the church and you say, you know what, That's, I've still got these wounds, gaping wounds. I'm going to invite you during our worship time together to just say, God, could you heal me? I, I, listen, I've, I've known what it's like to carry those wounds. I went through one church experience where I put my Bible on a shelf for six months and didn't re, I didn't even want to see it. Just put it up there and I said, God, I don't know if I even believe it anymore. So oh, it's horrible, I know. But some of you have been through that too. You've known what it's like to go, man. And then you back up and go, you know what? I love God. I love who he is. And I'm going to throw myself back into his purposes. And for some of us here today, we need to bring that wound to the Lord and say, Lord, can you heal me? Because he will. Then there's some of you, you've just withdrawn. You've withheld yourself. There's no wounds. You just, it may be pride. It may be fear. And today you need to, during our invitation time, say, God, I'm going to drop the walls and I want to come on. I want to be a part of what you're doing here. And then finally, if you're one of those that have judged this church because it hadn't been what you wanted it to be, today's a great day to say, you know what, God, instead of it being what I want it to be, help me to become who I need to be in what you're doing here. Would you be willing to do that? Father, I just ask right now that as we go into this time, that you would just touch us where we are. God, that as we search our hearts, as we seek these times of saying, God, am I wounded? Am I withdrawn? Am I demanding something that I shouldn't have? Lord, let this be a moment when we say, God, I want to be a part of a healthy church. And I just thank you for that.